0: Please visit jcastnetwork.org.
1: Welcome to Daily DAF Differently. My name is Rabbi Abi Soslan. Today we are learning Masechet Nidarim, DAF Tzadif, page 90. Congratulations, we have reached the final Mishnah of the Masechet. On Amud Bet of our DAF today, we learn about a change in the law regarding a woman who says to her husband, Tmea Lecha, I am defiled or impure to you. That is, I've been with another man, and I'm forbidden to you. We will learn on tomorrow's stuff that this is not about a woman who committed adultery, but it's rather about a woman who has been with another man, be without her consent. This is a particularly upsetting case. According to Jewish law, a woman who has been with another man on purpose is forbidden to be with her husband because she has committed adultery. But a woman who was, God forbid, raped, by another man, is forbidden to her husband if he is a kohen, since a kohen is not permitted to be with any woman who has been with another man, even be'ones, even not with her consent. So basically, if she says she was raped, or if she says tmea anilicha, she can no longer be married to him. This is upsetting at many different levels, but even before the Mishnaic period was concluded, the law on this had already changed so that a woman who says to her husband, Tmea Anilacha, actually has to bring proof that she was raped. "Tavira ayalid It gets worse and worse, because here the woman must prove she was raped in a way that is obviously most likely going to be humiliating for her. But as the Ran Rabbi Nisi, the medieval scholar, explains, the law had to be changed because the rabbi began to worried. They began to be skeptical that a woman might just say that she had been raped as a way to get out of her marriage. (laughs) Lovely. Here's a quick aside. The medieval scholars, the Rishonim, have a lot to work through here because it is actually biblical law that a woman is believed if she says she is not permitted to her husband, that a woman should always be believed on these kinds of personal issues. But the rabbis use a verse from Deuteronomy 17 to prove that actually, in this case, she should not be believed. Here's the verse. Al pi asher yorucha. The piece of the verse suggests that according to the Torah that they teach you, that the rabbis teach you, you must follow. Basically, the rabbis make it biblical law to follow rabbinic law. Yes. In fact, a woman should be believed biblically, but they decide that from Deuteronomy 17 that in fact our law supersedes biblical law because the Bible itself has said so. There are so many practical implications in this moment because, of course, those who claim that certain things are absolutely forbidden by biblical law might want to study the sources here more carefully, because evidently, when it's convenient, the rabbis said that rabbinic law can supersede law, Torah law. This is interesting, given so many of our modern questions, but we'll leave that as an aside. I want to focus on the opening Gemara of the Mishnah, because I like the lesson that it teaches. If a woman says that she is to her husband, can she still eat? Truma? This is the question that is asked of the Mishnah. Remember that Truma is the two percent that all Israelites give to the Kohanim in order to sustain those priests who do not have their own land. Truma has special properties and special rules. Only priests and their families may eat of it. If a woman is impure to her husband and is ultimately going to be divorced from him, then she would technically not be permitted to eat Truma. But Rav Sheshet, is willing to let her eat truma anyway, simply to avoid any problems that might arise for her children. According to Rav Sheishet, he ochelet truma, she should eat truma. She, lo al-baneha. she can still eat from the truma so that she doesn't end up casting aspersions on her children. Basically, the rabbis don't want her igniting hara about her children. We wouldn't want anyone to think that her children are chalalim, that they are unfit to eat the truma, unfit for the priesthood. As Rashi explains, people will come to say that her sons are that they are unfit for the priesthood. Because they are the children of an anusa, a woman who has been with another man without her consent. So children of a kohain who is in an unfit marriage, are themselves unfit for kihuna. If people see her eating Truma, I'm sorry, if people see that she does not eat Truma, then they will come to say, oh, she isn't fit to be the wife of a kohain." Therefore, the children from that marriage are also not fit. And it would end up casting aspersions on them. Rava differs from Rav Sheshet. He says, She should not eat truma. He says, People could easily think that maybe she just doesn't have any truma with her, and she's eating chulin, that is, non-truma, regular food, just for convenience, not because she or her children are unfit. Rav Sheshet makes a small concession. Okay. After she is widowed or divorced, she should not eat truma because at that point, no one will say anything about her children, and they'll assume that the children she had with her husband before she was divorced or widowed are still fit for the kehuna, but she should still be permitted to eat truma while she is married to this man before the end of their marriage, before the dissolution of their marriage, even if she says tme'a ani l'cha. Let's leave behind for a moment the ancient's understanding of women and the way that marriages work because that is clearly upsetting in many different ways. And let's also leave behind how the rabbis could occasionally play fast and loose with biblical law when they chose to. And let's focus on a sweet little point here. Once again, the Gemara shows us the centrality of Fodapriot. The idea that God forbid allowing anyone to be shamed in the community has to be prevented and that the honor of all human beings must be first and foremost. It is better for the truma to be potentially deluded or misappropriated than for a woman and her children to be shamed. There also seems to be some reality here about the community as well. Look, the rabbis seem to be saying, people talk and they always will. Let's prevent them from talking about these innocent kids. There's both a deep seed of compassion for the children as well as a reality check about the way community works that I respect very much. This is an aspect of Torah and of Talmud and the rabbinic work that is kind of admirable. There are no saints here, just practical attempts to manage a real world where people gossip and to protect those who need protection from that gossip. It's not always perfect, that's for sure, but I do give the rabbis credit for trying their best to build a working community with morality, ethics, and best practices. The rabbis certainly have their blind spots, but in some areas, they show a remarkable sense of clarity and vision until tomorrow.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daft Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening close of this episode is Ufros from the Epicorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes and Spotify.